Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We come to one of my favorite Sundays, which is All Saints Sunday. And so it is on this day that we remember those who have gone before us. And we're going to focus on this question and this answer from a passage in Revelation, where the seer is asked, who are these people? And then eventually receives the answer that these are they who have gone before. And so we We usually lift up those whom we have lost in our congregation, members of this body of this church that is the traditional way that we celebrate. But given the unique nature of 2020, given the unique nature of all that we're facing, the incredible task we've all been in together in COVID-19, and we think about the 228,000 people who have died in the U.S. alone, from this virus, the well over a million across the world. We think of the many who have been hospitalized for other things and yet were cut off from communication to their family. They weren't able to be together in their moment of need. And some people passed away in isolation because of all of this and the pain that that's caused for both the person who passed and their family. The many who have been laid to rest in funerals that are not what we hope to be a part of. Funerals are a time when we can all gather together close, cry on each other's shoulders, hold each other's hands, share laughs. And many of the funerals this year have been either limited in capacity or have been in the car via the radio or really haven't happened at all. So given this unique time, we're gonna honor all the saints whom we have lost over the last year. So I encourage you, when we come to a time to think of these people by name, and we will show you pictures and names, to remember those on your heart as we lift our saints up, those who have been a part of the church, those who have committed themselves to God and lived a life full, no matter if their faith was a few days old or several decades, they're God's children, and we honor them, and we celebrate them on this day. And we can take time today to mourn, to smile and to remember and to honor that our loss is their gain. We remember their story because it is our story. All the saints from every day since the beginning of creation to now have moved beyond the trials and tribulations of this life. And we hold on to the hope when we will see them again in the glorious presence of the Lord, when the glorious day of the Lord, which has already begun, will be completed. We lift up our saints to remind us to measure the struggles which we face today alongside and against the great and glorious day that will come, that is assured. And knowing that and hanging on to that hope, remembering our saints helps us in the midst of all we face. 
One day all will be made right. Today, we celebrate those who have gone before us that we might follow. Revelation is the book of Revelations where we're going to read from today. It is one of the most famous and confused books in all of our scripture. I didn't say confusing, I said confused. The enigmatic nature of the writing has led to countless interpretations, some of which you have heard or read or seen in a movie. Some see it as a scary book which tells of the future. Some see it as a story about something that happened long ago. And others see it as this great grand template or story upon which any age can lay their story out and understand the bigger things that are happening beyond the realm of all that we see. That any generation, every generation can understand the reality through this book. I find it to be a mixture of the latter two. It deals with something that was happening long ago. It was written for that group, but in such a way that that group and every group since, including us, can come to understand our own reality, to understand ultimately the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Now, the word revelation, it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis or apocalypsis. And so you may say, you know that word. Uh, apocalypse is where we get the word. The word at the beginning of the book in Greek is apocalypse, and in ours it's revelation. The word simply means revealing, revelation, or unveiling that which was previously unseen. So it could mean something similar to where you've seen meals, where they bring the, the meal out on a plate that's covered by some sort of, of metal covering, and then they unveil the meal. That is a revelation. That is an apocalypse, as it were. I know in our English meaning, apocalypse means some sort of fiery end to all, but that is not what the word means in Scripture. And so we could read and spend a lot of time on things concerning Jewish apocalyptic literature, um, but to help us through the passage today, we need to understand that this writing and these kinds of writings, apocalyptic writings, they were used to speak to people in the midst of a chaotic time, of great turmoil, for the purpose of bringing hope. Revelation is a book of hope. And so we're going to read from chapter 7 today. It's, it's going to be verses 9 through 17. And I could spend hours pointing out all of the connections just in today's passage that points directly to a passage from the Hebrew Scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament. The entire book of Revelation, 80% of it is simply passages from the Old Testament woven together in this particular way to tell the whole story, the whole story of what God is doing, what has done and does still, all to offer us hope. It's like a a piece of thread woven through the entire story and presented to us. And so it picks up a lot of the past. And so this is why we have Revelation at the end. It tells the, the whole story of everything that happens from the beginning to the end of this creation, this age. And Genesis is at the beginning. That's the beginning of the creation. Revelation lies at the end, or actually the Greek word is goal, where it's all headed. Because that's not the end. It's just a new beginning. 
Before we hear this passage, I want to lay out some important details which will help us hear the message from the seer who calls himself John. So I want to walk through some bits, and if you have a Bible in front of you, I hope you have turned to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. I'm going to walk through passage by passage, and then we'll hear the passage as a whole. So we are going to hear right at the beginning of our passage that there is a crowd of people beyond count. This follows uh, an idea. Just a few verses prior, there was a number given, 144,000. And so sometimes you'll hear people mention that specific number. That's the only amount of number of people that there are in heaven. And that's a, it's a misunderstanding of how apocalyptic literature works. So to give you a, a very brief understanding, there are 12 tribes of Israel. That's how the story began. Abraham had a son Isaac, Isaac had a son Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and those are the tribes of Israel, and that's the, the number throughout the Hebrew scripture, which is why when Jesus came and taught, there were lots of people that followed Jesus, but 12 are mentioned because Jesus is bringing about a new form of Israel to mirror the original. So there are 12 disciples to mirror the 12 tribes. And so if you take 12 times 12, in other words, taking Israel before, and then the new Israel established through Jesus, you come to 144, if you know your math. And then 1,000 in apocalyptic literature often meant infinite. 1,000. It's a big number. It's infinite. So we find 144,000 in just a few verses becomes a countless number. To a first century person, this would have made sense. Maybe we're having a little, a little trouble. But the idea was it was countless and everybody was there. From every tribe, every nation, everybody. All. All of the people of God were there, no exception. They stand before the throne and the Lamb, which symbolizes God, the throne, Jesus, the Lamb. And they wear white robes and they're waving palm branches. Now, this is all an ancient sign of a procession or a celebration of victory. If there's a great victory, you would wear white, you would wave palm branches, and it symbolizes a great rescue, which is why they wave palm branches on Palm Sunday because Jesus came in and they were shouting Hosanna, which means God save us, rescue us. And here we find they are celebrating the rescue which has taken place. And the word rescue comes from this word that means victory or salvation. And so they're waving palm branches and they're saying victory belongs to God and the lamb. And they're in this celebration. It's a great image. And among them, also there before the throne, are all the angels, all of them, are all the elders, all the elders, which are the personified uh, group that we've seen throughout the book. If you go back, it starts right in chapter one, the elders, 12 times, or plus 12, is 24 elders. Also mirrors some stuff going on in Rome. And then four living creatures are there, and the particular type of creatures gives us the four types of creatures labeled in Genesis, Genesis chapter one, verse 20, and then in 24 through 25. And so we find that all the animals, all the people, all the celestial beings, all the people of God, all of creation is there together worshiping, all of it. It's big, it's a big image. They're all worshiping God. They're praising God because all things come from God. Wisdom, honor, power, because God, it's through God 
God is the one through whom all blessings flow. So one elder then, kind of a break in the action, this great and glorious celebration, and an elder turns to the seer and says, who are all these people dressed in white, waving palm branches? And the seer is like, uh, I'm the outsider here. You should know. You tell me. And so then the person responds. So the seer is kind of asking the question on behalf of the reader. Who are all these people? I know who the angels are. I know who the animals are. I know who the elders are. Who are the people? These are they. They who have come out of or through great hardship. And it's important to understand that they went through the hardship and have emerged on the other side. They weren't removed from the experience of the hardship. Revelation is quite clear. In the powers that exist in this world and the realities that are at work, we are not taken away from the suffering. We're right in the middle of it. And we might feel that these days. And so the original audience of this letter in the first century, end of the first, beginning of the second, there was a great fear among the people about what was happening in the Roman Empire. There was the threat of a change of authority, a change of Caesar, a change of who's in charge, a change of leadership, and all that might happen with this change. Might there be another persecution of the church, of anybody that doesn't worship Caesar? So this change of leadership, it's kind of eerie that this lectionary passage comes on the Sunday before the election. Hmm? Change of leadership. And some of us are worried about what might happen, about the threats that face us. These people, they have washed their robes and they have made them white in the Lamb's blood. A very key idea that we can't take all this literally. If you wash something in blood, it doesn't wash it white, it makes it red. It's all symbols. Blood, in Hebrew thought, is life. It's why you don't eat meat with blood in it, because it still has life. It's just sacrifices. The blood comes out and washes upon the altar. It's, it's the life that we receive in the sacrifice. It's blood is life. And so in Hebrew thought, the idea of putting on Christ is putting on Christ's sacrifice and the life that you receive through the blood of Christ in the great sacrifice on the cross, that you put on the life that is free from sin and death. And all these people in white waving branches, they are in the presence of God in the heavenly realm, reality, where there is no sin and death because God shelters them. That takes us into the next part of the passage, the idea of sheltering. God protects them. The word is actually, it would be a, a way to say it from the Greek is God pitched a tent over them. God tabernacled over them because the tabernacle was the original tent that went with the Israelites as they wandered the wilderness. And so the very presence of God was, was seen and experienced in the tabernacle. Eventually that tabernacle took the form of the temple. And so God tabernacles over this group in the same way that God did in the wilderness. And when you're protected by God, you have all you need. And we know the great stories from Exodus of receiving manna, receiving water, receiving protection and guidance. These people are being taber tabernacled over by God. And in the midst of this experience, it is 
the King, Jesus, the living water, who in John 10 promised, there would be no more hungering or thirsting if you come to me. It is Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes on the divine image of the great and good shepherd that we find in John and in Psalm 23. It is through Christ that God's sheltering has occurred and is occurring. It is Almighty God who comes to wipe their eye. There is no more pain and suffering when God tabernacles over you. Because that's who God is. God's the protector. God of great mercy and grace and compassion. I know sometimes we get the image that God is some sort of celestial bully. Or God is some angry bureaucratic presence that's just waiting for us to mess up and just looks down on us constantly. That's not the image we find in Scripture. Our God steps down, comes to us in Christ, comes to us to give us hope, and in the end, when we've come through the great suffering, wipes the tears from our eye. What an image. And so, let's hear from the passage. Now that we have a great deal of understanding of some of the symbols we're going to hear about. And so, we're going to dive right into this apocalyptic writing. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. They worship him day and night in his temple, and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them, because the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you grasp the beauty and the hope in this passage? The end of the Revelation book sees the full unity of heaven and earth, the heavenly realm, the earthly realm together as one. All of creation is restored. It's actually here that heaven comes. It's not that it's somewhere else, but somewhere else comes here. It's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful unveiling 
of not only the promised future, but of the present that now exists, kind of overlocking, interlapping with the future because the saints are already there. We need this message, friends. We are enduring some of the most difficult days of our lives. Now, yes, there have been difficult times before, many times in the past, and the facts would tell us that life on earth today has never been better overall in the last 20 years, have been better than any time ever on the existence of the planet. And I know the popular narrative gives a a different perspective, but you can look at the facts and see that it's true. But this year has been really hard for lots of people for many different ways. We are in the midst of trials and tribulations. We have election and all the division that it's causing. We have racial injustice and the murders that are occurring and the division and the hatred, the anger. There's the oppression of the LGBT community and all that's happening and the threats that they face and then the threat that giving them rights seems to pose for those who don't want them to have equal rights. COVID is spiking all around the world. In fact, now our county is is kind of moving a step backwards and where we're at and dealing with it. And we're, we're exhausted. We're all feeling weighed down by this. This year has been tough. We're losing people. Some people are losing jobs. We're isolated. We're disconnected. And we're becoming more and more divided in this kind of pinnacle of the season. And you can't even talk about the election running the risk that people are going to get really angry, going to say things, it's going to hurt friendships, hurt relationships, because it's already happening. It's already happening, families and friends. And I, just our love, our connection toward fellow human beings is really suffering right now in this season because of all the divisiveness. So we need to cling to this image and revelation as the church We need to not only cling to it, we need to set our sights upon it before we set our sights upon any other promise or vision that's given from anyone else other than God. So we want to consider the lives of our saints, because I think considering the lives of the saints, those who have gone before us, picturing things through their perspective might offer us a more hope-filled perspective, because they suffered hard times. They endured hard times. Some of the people we're lifting up, they faced cancer. Some of them faced many horrific circumstances in their lives, and they endured with faith. And their times of suffering are over. They've waded through death, and they've emerged on the other side. They're now in the great company of the heavenly host. They stand before the throne and beyond the reach of sin and death, they hunger and thirst no more, and the very tears in their eyes have been wiped by God. Hmm. Such an image. We want to experience this too. We long for that day, and we will. We will. Amen? We just need to do as our saints did. Follow in their path. Wash ourselves in the blood of the Lamb. We need to take upon ourselves the very life of Jesus Christ in such a way 
that it is his work that actually makes us righteous and pure. So we often get caught up in the idea that it's, that it's our work that actually accomplishes these things, that makes us righteous or makes us good or makes us more Christian or makes us worthy. We think we are only righteous and worthy if we voted the correct way. I've heard that kind of thing said. That if you voted for one person, then obviously you're not a Christian. I've heard these kinds of things said. And if we just step back, I think we realize that we've gotten really far off track if that's how we're thinking. We think that it's our job to judge others who didn't vote the way that we think they should have. I wonder if we could have a conversation with our saints. What might they say about it all? Would they be as adamant about voting a particular way, having seen all that they've seen, waded through death, and standing before the presence of God? Do you think they would invest the kind of emotion in voting a particular way, the way we often find ourselves in others? Would they raise such a fuss about whether they had to or not had to wear a mask? Or would they cheer us on the way of love and justice in the name of Jesus Christ? Would they encourage us to stand up for our neighbors, to love God more, to love our neighbor more, to give of ourselves as Christ did, that that's actually where you find life. And let Jesus make you worthy and righteous and Christian or however you want to phrase it. Let Jesus do this. I wonder if our saints, would they enforce a particular set of ideals about who is right and who is wrong in the same way now, having gone through all they've gone through versus when they were here with us? What might they say to us about this highly tempting path of human life, of, of judgment? Would they determine who is better or more worthy based on pigmentation of skin? or who a person loves, or what church they go to, what flag they fly, or would they dance at the notion of the 144,000 and all that it represents, all of God's children worshiping together side by side, no matter any of those things. Now that they have seen with their own eyes the glory of God, would they not encourage us to stop worrying about so many of the things that we worry about? To stop allowing ourselves to be drawn into such deep anger and disappointment over things that are temporary? Would they give us a brighter future? An image of which we could fix our eyes that would allow us to persevere through the times that we struggle with today. Because voting matters, sure it does. How we respond to the community and the events going on around us, it does matter. But is that the sole gaze of our eyes? Is that the, the goal? Is that what drives us? Is that what we dedicate our lives to? Or do we dedicate our lives beyond to the image given to us today, to the lamb and to the throne that allows us to go through the suffering of every day between now and and the day we stand before them. Because 
Our only response, if our eyes are fixed upon Christ and fixed upon this heavenly scene, if our eyes are fixed upon the promise that is before us, that's already been accomplished, that's already offered to us, if we fix our eyes on that, our only response in any amount of trouble or suffering would be to love. To love. To give of ourselves for the sake of the neighbors around us, those we know, those we don't know, those that look like us and those that don't look like us, those that think like us, those that don't think like us, those that vote like us and those that don't, that we would have this kind of love because that's the love that Jesus Christ had, the Lamb, who won the victory, who has provided a place for us, who shelters us now and will shelter us then, who washes us clean that we can accept the rescue through Christ's victory and nothing at any time, anywhere, no, no one can do a thing about this victory other than to accept it because it is God's victory, not ours. And it cannot be undone. Friends, Jesus Christ leads us all into the way of hope. And I think you'll find hardly a better image than this passage in Revelation. Where do you find your hope? On the outcome of Tuesday? Do you find your hope in the image from today's passage? Do you find your hope at watching and remembering the faithful lives of our saints as they press onward toward the goal. Our saints, these saints are they who stand before the throne. Those who loved us, those who walked the path with perseverance, those who have received their rescue, those who cheer us onward, these people are they, our saints. The churches who first received this letter of revelation, they, they needed a good word of hope because they were facing days of suffering as we are now facing. Different circumstances, same amount of difficulty. It's our hope in Jesus Christ which sees us through whatever trials and tribulations come, whatever we might face in our lives. And it's important to remember, Jesus Christ does not remove us from the trials and tribulation, but sees us through them to the other side. Friends, let us pick up the mantle of our saints. Let us put on Jesus Christ once more in all that we do, in all that we do and live by the life to which Jesus calls us. Not of any particular political affiliation, not of any sense of hierarchy, whether it be by gender or race, not any of the systems and structures which humans have made because they are all temporary. Let us put on Christ as our saints did. Let us live a life of hope and love as our saints did. Let us celebrate as they stand before the throne and before the Lamb with full confidence 
that one day we will be there too. And let that hope guide every step of every day, every conversation with every person. My friends, go in the hope and the peace of Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.